The reading is from Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Visit of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Good morning, everybody. And uh, can I also offer my Happy New Year to you as well? I know lots of people have said it already, but I also want to wish you a very Happy New Year. Um, For those of you that have uh, joined us for the last few weeks, will know that we've been following a series about worship and thinking about what it means uh, to worship. Some of those topics that we've looked at have been things like um, worship as a lifestyle choice, worship in a broken world, Worship at the cross of freedom. Worship as an outpouring of love. You might remember some of those sermons that we've had recently. But as we stand at this beginning, at this new beginning of a new year, you might be wondering what 2023 holds for you. Maybe this morning you actually are a bit fearful about 2023. Maybe you're quite excited about 2023 and all the possibilities that it brings. Something that you're anticipating to be happening this year. And so, uh, the sermon title for this morning that I was given was to worship the King of Kings. And what better place to start at the beginning of a new year than with worshipping the King of Kings. I'm actually going to read just another little bit from later in the New Testament, from the book of Philippians. He always had the nature of God. This passage is talking about Jesus. But he did not think by force he should try to remain equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had and took the nature of a servant. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, his death 
on a cross. For this reason, God raised him to the highest place above and gave him the name that is greater than any other name. And so in honor of the name of Jesus, all beings in heaven, on earth, and in the world below will fall on their knees and all will openly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, I think I'm, I think I'm done then. I think uh, that's pretty much the sermon right there, isn't it? What can I add to that? The title, Worship the King of Kings. And this passage gives us a picture of a king like no other king. I don't know if any of you saw this image over the, the last few weeks. I, I saw it on a Twitter. The image shows a traditional nativity scene type crib, and over the top there is the caption, king-size bed. But you may have seen it somewhere. But I love that image. To me, it, it sums up the wonder of Christmas. The one who created the stars and the universe comes as a baby to live and move among us. Jesus coming to meet us right where we are. A king who humbly gives up everything, even his life on the cross, so that we might be free. A servant king, and yet a king who lives and reigns above all things and points the way to God. An extraordinary king whose power is hidden in humility. I don't know about you, but I think this king is definitely worth finding out more about. There are no streetlights where I live. When it gets dark, it gets really, really dark. When my husband and I go for an evening walk, particularly at this time of year, head torches are an absolute essential. But on clear nights, you can see the stars in whatever direction you look. Many, many stars. And maybe some of you have been fortunate enough to visit some of those places that have been designated as dark sky reserves. Uh, places like the Brecon Beacons, or Snowdonia, or Exmoor, or maybe even further afield across the world. Personally, I can only stand in awe at the vastness of our galaxy and the universe beyond. I mean, there's estimated to be 100 billion stars just in our galaxy alone. That's mind-blowing to me. And another thing about the clear nights is when the moon is full, it's really surprising how much lighter it is, to the point where you don't actually need the torch. The dark illuminated by the soft glow of the reflected light from the moon, the way forward, clear. The night skies are fascinating for so many reasons. No wonder that people study them and try to understand them. In the passage that Anne read, we hear about a group that have devoted their time to doing just that. Now, I think I probably need to just address a few issues here. There's no suggestion in Scripture that there were just three of them. It doesn't say that. Nor is there any suggestion that they were kings. And although we often say wise men, we don't even know what gender they were. Those traditions have grown up and become established, but the truth is we don't really know who those people were. They were possibly from Persia, 
And the term magi was often given to those who were interested in astrology and the interpretation of dreams and those sorts of things. However, it does seem that they knew about the Jewish scriptures. Specifically, they knew about the prophecies relating to the Messiah, a long-awaited king who would save Israel and reign over her. Something that they saw in the sky led them to believe that the time had come for the prophecy to be fulfilled. Again, the details in the passage are not enough for us to know for sure what they witnessed. But theories have been suggested. Was it a supernova or a comet or maybe a conjunction of planets? Whatever it was they actually saw in their observations, they believed that it signaled the arrival of a new and important king. They believe it's so significant that they're moved to go and find him to offer their worship. Of course, if you were looking for a king, it makes sense that the first place you would look would be in the palace, in the capital city. And so the convoy arrives in Jerusalem and the courts of Herod. I'm just going to give you a little bit of background about Herod. Herod ruled over the Jews in Jerusalem, but he was there because he'd clawed his way to the top during some Roman political unrest. His ancestors had converted to Judaism, so he was brought up in Jewish ways, but not really considered Jewish enough by most of his subjects. The king of Jews by name, but not fully accepted as their legitimate king. Herod was not a particularly nice guy by all accounts. He was pretty ruthless in dealing with anyone who he considered to be a threat, even getting rid of the members of his own family that he considered to be potential rivals. He knew that his position was fragile, and his fear was that he would lose power and control and status, and those things mattered to him. The announcement by the Magi troubled him. In fact, the passage tells us it disturbed him, deeply disturbed him. But why? What difference could a baby make to someone as powerful as him? It most likely caused him to worry that forces may rise up to overthrow him and to replace him with a king that came from the true line of the anticipated Messiah. He was not going to submit to the authority of a, of a rival. He's not going to bow to somebody else. And so here we have the first of three different responses to Jesus that we see in this passage. Active resistance. Herod, terrified of losing power and control, does what he can to protect his position. Sly and shrewd, he fakes a genuine desire to worship, but really has a plan to seek out and destroy the child that poses such a threat. Now, knowingly or unknowingly, our human nature likes to be in control. We do not like the thought of others telling us what to do. We like our world to be just the way we like it to be. In Jesus, 
We see a king whose kingdom values call us to put the needs of others first, putting aside our own wants and serving others with humility. Jesus challenges us to live differently. Jesus will unsettle our personal goals and routines in order to bring about his good plans and purposes. And for some, that's too much. They're fearful of what it would mean to allow Jesus to be at the center. And so the response is to actively resist him by closing their minds and hearts to the life-changing message that he offers, rejecting his message of love and acceptance, of forgiveness and freedom. Maybe you recognize this in someone you know, a friend or a family member perhaps, someone that you could pray for today. We're going to pause for a moment as you quietly lift up that person and ask God in his grace to soften their hearts and minds to receive his love. Now, there's a second group of people that we meet in the Palace of Herod, and they are the chief priests and teachers of the law. They're respected, they're educated, they're highly knowledgeable of the scriptures. So when Herod asks them where the Messiah is to be born, they are quick to point to the prophecy in Micah that names Bethlehem as the birthplace. Now, only a short part of the prophecy is given in Matthew, but I love how it continues. So this is verse 4, so slightly after the bit that's given in the, in the passage in Matthew. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Just like the passage in Philippians that I read at the beginning, here is a picture of a king unlike any other. A king that rules like a shepherd, caring for his flock, and a king who can be trusted. Our safety, our sanctuary, bringing us peace. Now, the chief priests and teachers knew all of this, so you would have thought that they would be at least a little bit excited by the news from the Magi. The possibility that the news meant the long-expected Messiah had arrived, the Messiah who would restore Israel, it should have filled them with expectant hope and joy. But it would seem not. There seems to be no action on their parts. As far as we know, they didn't go and search for the child with the Magi. So here we see the second response to Jesus shown in this passage. Passive indifference. Those who hear the good news of Jesus maybe even know the scriptures really well, but are not moved into action. Head knowledge that hasn't translated into heart application. Not hostile to Jesus like Herod. Not an active decision to reject him but no true devotion. I think one of the things we have learned about worship over the last few weeks is that when we come before God in worship, 
It should impact us. It should move us and it should change us. It's one thing to know the stuff up here, but unless that knowledge leads to a practical application in our lives and the lives of those around us, and it's not worship in the true sense. It's one thing to know about Jesus, but something totally different to follow him in our lives, guiding our choices, our priorities, direction, and purpose. Matt spoke a few weeks ago about being less than 100% in our walk with Christ. In some ways, just going through the motions of worship. Perhaps in this series that we've been following, you yourself have been challenged about your own walk with Christ. I know I have. Take a few moments now to confess before God the areas where you have become passive in your worship and commitment. I'm not sure if um, any of you saw the advert for Boots in the last few weeks. I wasn't sure whether I was allowed to actually show it, so I didn't. You might just have to imagine it, or maybe if you've been into Boots recently, um, you may have seen their campaign this year was around the slogan, Joy for All. There's joy for all to be found at Boots this Christmas, and they used it in all of their marketing. If you're looking for joy, then you will definitely find it in this new hairdryer, or perfume, or bubble bath. Quite a clever campaign, I thought. People are searching for joy, and hoping that that joy will bring meaning to their life. This is what their chief marketing officer said. Our customers are telling us they want this Christmas to be a joyful time with loved ones, particularly after another turbulent year. This is Pete Markey, the Chief Marketing Officer at Boots UK. He goes on to say, finding the right gift for the right person can spark that feeling of joy both for the giver and the recipient. Our extensive range of gifts means that people can be confident with, that with Boots, there is joy for all this Christmas. The Magi was searching they were searching for understanding, understanding of the universe. They were searching for understanding of wisdom and of truth. And what they found was Jesus. They found not just an intellectual idea, but a child to be worshipped. And we're told that they were overjoyed to have found what they had been seeking. Finding the king they were searching for brought them such joy that their response was to bow in worship, offering gifts. Their response was the complete opposite of Herod's. Herod was not prepared to bow before anyone else. But the magi could do nothing else but fall down in worship of the child. Their hearts full of joy, anticipation, excitement, expectancy... I think the worship of the wise men should really challenge us. Do we come to worship with that same expectancy of meeting with the king? Boots can offer joy for all this Christmas, but 
the greatest joy in all of our lives is in finding, following, and fulfilling the will of God. And the greatest joy of doing that is when the will of God leads you to Jesus. God led the Magi to find Jesus through their study of the stars, but he's still leading and guiding us today. In Jeremiah 29, verse 14, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's the NIV version. In the message, it says, When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. And so this is the third response to Jesus. Joyful surrender. Those who don't just study the scriptures, but seek God in the midst of them. Those who seek to be part of God's kingdom work here on earth. Who are sensitive to the leading of the spirit and obedient when he speaks. Those who are willing to submit to the plans of a good and gracious God who sees the bigger picture. Those who lay down their lives in worship using their gifts, their talents, and their resources in his service. If I acknowledge the fact that Christ is truly the one who is born to be king, is his kingdom fully established in my life? Is he ruling over my life, or am I still trying to rule my own life? Does Jesus have everything in my life at his disposal? Or am I still holding on to some things and refusing to surrender every part of my life to him? At this time of year, we often sing about offering our whole selves to God. Words like these from Gay and Kendrick and Martin Chalk. Wise men bring their treasures, shepherds bow low, angel voices sing of peace on earth. What have I to offer to heaven's king? I will bring my life, my love, my all. Maybe a, a, one more familiar to some of you in the bleak midwinter. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would give a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what I can I give him? Give him my heart. Easy to sing some of those words, maybe. But as we sang earlier in the service, our worship needs to be so much more than just a song. The heart of worship is truly meaning when, what we say when we sing, though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. This is what it means to worship the King of Kings, who is the giver of true life. When we offer him our lives, that releases genuine joy that we cannot find anywhere else but at the feet of Jesus. As we come to the end of the Christmas season and stand at the beginning of a new year, let us, with joy and love, bring our true worship to Jesus. Over Christmas, we've celebrated that Jesus was the greatest gift is no longer a baby, no longer a child, but the great almighty King of kings and Lord of lords who deserves only the very best 
that we can give.